0: Never, uh, never a dull moment around here at Hope Elam, and we have so much to celebrate. And I want to remind you this morning is that maybe some of you have seen a baptism before, and you're like, oh, that was cute, and that's nice for her. I I think between that last song that we sang and God having a hand and having a baptism today, uh, this is not in the script at all, so sorry, slide folks. He is for you. He is for you, that some of you feel maybe far away from God this morning. You are his child. You are his son or his daughter. And that maybe this little girl getting baptized this morning, God is speaking to you through her and through this celebration saying, You are my child. I haven't forgotten about you. I love you and I am for you this morning. And maybe somebody here this morning just needs to hear that. He loves you so much. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can clap any time that you want. Amen? Absolutely. Let me hear you. All right. I'm going to pull out my Pastor Hurst here and say, let the redeemed of the Lord say Alleluia! Alleluia! Alleluia. Alleluia. And amen. Just wanted to make sure you're awake. You are the 11 o'clock service. I mean, here we go. All right. Let's jump right into it today. We're kicking off a brand new series today, and it's Positive Megatrends in the 25th Century Church. That's a mouthful, and that's a lot to understand. Let me unpack that for you. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be taking a look at six different characteristics of churches that are being effective at reaching out to the world around them. Six different trends that in this, uh, this world that we're living in, in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of cultural shifts and changes in almost every sector of society. Every single one of us could probably raise our hands this morning and say something in my life has dramatically changed over the last 24 months and may never be the same. The way that we relate to each other, the way that we do community, the way that we uh, see the medical world, or the, the political world, or the social world, the way that we view the culture around us, the way that we do business, the way that we work, the way that we have families, and certainly the last 24 months have affected the way that we are called to be the church. And so much has been written about, oh, spirituality is at a decline, all-time decline, and, and, and churches are dying, and nobody's interested in Jesus Christ anymore, and all of that. And I will tell you this. That as I look around the world around you, and maybe as you look inside of your own heart this morning, everything might be changing in our world, but one thing is for sure. God's word says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And that is what we cling to is God's word. So what we're going to look at is six different characteristics of what it looks like for Hope Elam to be a church that is continuing to reach people, that is continuing to be innovative, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God's word never changes, but we have to continue to be innovative at the way that we bring God's word to an ever-changing culture. And I said it once and I'll say it again. If we are going to reach people as a church that nobody else is reaching, we've got to do things that nobody else is doing. Amen? We've got to be innovative. We've got to think not just outside the box, but most importantly, inside God's word. And that's where we're going to go today, certainly with our first trend, our first key idea of what it means to be the church, and that is to be a church full of servants, a church full of servant leaders. We want to be a church at Hope Elam that makes a difference in the world around us. The, 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 the neighborhoods in the city of Des Moines would be different because Hope Elam is here. So how do we most effectively reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That's easy to talk about. It's easy to put up a slide. It's a lot more challenging to do. If you would have asked me 13 years ago when I started as a pastor at this church, I would have said, oh yeah, let's just go do it. How hard can that be? And then I started walking the streets. And I kid you not, it was almost 13 years ago, a couple months ago, that I just chose a random neighborhood of Des Moines to walk through. And I'm realizing now it was the corner of University and 25th, right here. And I remember walking by Planet Sub thinking, I'm hungry. And then I looked the other way and I saw this giant brick church on the corner. I didn't know anything about and I'd driven past it 100 times. I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> Boy, that would be something someday. I wonder who the pastor of that church is. Boy, they've got their hands full. I don't think it's any coincidence that God put us here for a reason. And I remember thinking to myself, I was, we were just about a week into this brand new church that we were started called Hope City Branch at the time. And we were going to be this urban campus of Lutheran Church of Hope. At the time, and I thought, you know, we've got everything we need to be a successful church plant. We've got pretty good coffee, you know, for a church, decent coffee. Uh, You know, we've got a little speaker and a sound system and a little uh, projector screen to put the lyrics. I mean, we're pretty uptown. We have a projector, uh, and it's pretty cool. And the most important thing you need to reach people in a growing city is maroon padded chairs uh, that we had there uh, at the school. And so I thought, man, we can't go wrong. We have everything that we need to reach the city and it didn't take me very long to realize that maybe God had different plans because as I drove over a bridge from where we were living to the school we were meeting at at the time I realized that the very bridge that I'm driving over to worship are people living under that bridge and I wonder if they know the love of God. And that there's hundreds of people from shelters and halfway houses and under bridges and all over in tent camps all over the city of Des Moines that have no roof over their head. It occurred to me and I learned a few years later that the city of Des Moines, yes, Des Moines has one of the largest populations of youth homelessness in the nation. Youth homelessness. Those are two words that should never go together. And if they don't get your attention, check your heart this morning. It didn't take me long to realize that there are dozens of refugee families that have been placed right here in Des Moines from countries all over the world that have been devastated by war. That 75% of the kids in the school where our children will grow up and now go to elementary school do not have a father in the home, which leads to all sorts of societal and cultural issues, and on and on and on. And I could go down the list and do a whole sermon just on the, the needs and the ills of our city. And I'm not talking about inner city Chicago. I'm not talking about the middle of LA. I'm talking about Des Moines, Iowa. I'm talking about the four to five blocks that surround this place where we worship. And it didn't take me very long into my ministry here to realize that God had not placed us to have a cute little church service once a week, that maybe God had brought us as a family to Des Moines to break our hearts for the things that break his That Maybe that's the starting point of any new church, of any new church plan. Is God, what are you doing and how can we join you? Have have you ever had one of those moments? Let me draw it out for you. Every single one of us at some point in our lives, we come to faith and, and that is certainly a defining moment in our lives. And maybe that X moment was at some point for you where God got a hold of you and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But I also think that there's other big key X marks the spot moments in our lives like I had. I believed in Jesus. I'm a third generation Lutheran pastor. I followed Jesus my whole life. I think I believed in him for as long as I can remember. But there was a moment standing on the corner of 25th and University here in Des Moines, a giant X marks the spot moment where God came along and ruined my nice, safe, comfortable Christianity. Have you ever had a moment like that? (laughs) where you're going on in your life, and like, my, my life cannot be the same. Let me, let me color it for you so you don't miss it. And after that moment, I can't just keep showing up at worship. I can't just keep going through the motions. God is wrecking my heart. He's breaking my heart for all of those things and more. We just can't keep going on as business like usual. And maybe you've realized, like I did, that certainly as we read the Gospels, that we have a Jesus that shows up and certainly comforts the afflicted. And he wants to do that for you in your heart if you're hurting or if you're broken this morning. But don't miss the other half of the gospel. We have a Jesus also that comes along and in those giant moments in our lives gets a hold of us, grabs our heart that doesn't just comfort the afflicted but sometimes he afflicts the comfortable. And maybe that's some of you this morning and that was me 13 years ago and multiple moments of those big blue X's Along this journey, the last 13 years, God comes along and gives us what I will call, and don't miss this this morning, some holy discontent. Some holy discontent, meaning it's from God, and yet I have this thing in my spirit, this check in my heart that I just can't keep going along as business as normal. And as followers of Jesus, there's a lot of different ways that we respond to those moments. Maybe for you it was a mission trip, or it was a a Christian concert you went to, or maybe a church service, a moment in worship, and God got a hold of your heart and you experienced him in a powerful way. But a lot of times what we do when we experience the needs of the world around us and all the things that are going on in our city, it's very, very easy to respond with apathy even as good, well-intentioned followers of Jesus, to say, well, John, I don't live around here and and I don't have to deal with that or maybe that's not my cultural or racial background or that's not the socioeconomic level that I'm in. And so we just kind of become apathetic to it. And sometimes what that leads to, the other danger, the other ditch in that is that we start to feel really, really guilty. And as church people, uh, by nature, we're really, really good at guilt. Maybe you heard me list all those things off at the beginning of the sermon, and you're already feeling bad about it. Oh, man, and we, and we go to, I'm not a very good Christian, and I should be doing more, and it still misses the heart of God. And so we don't want to feel that guilt, and we don't want to feel that shame, because I should be doing more, and I should be serving more, and we go down that road, and so what's easier is that we just avoid it. If I just pretend that all of those things don't exist, and I just kind of keep going along with my nice, safe, comfortable Christian life, then maybe I won't have to think about it. But it doesn't go away. Jesus sometimes afflicts the comfortable to get our intention. God wants to break your heart this morning for the things that break his. And we ask God instead a third way. Not apathy, not avoidance, but to be people of action. To let God interrupt our lives. And I remember standing on the corner of 25th and University Thank God, what in the world have you called me to? I'm from Story City, Iowa. I don't know anything about the culture of poverty. I don't know anything about diversity. <laughs> Pastor Hurst and I joke about that all the time. Inner city Detroit, Story City, Iowa. That's got to be a God thing, okay? I have no clue what I'm doing. And the last 13 years and everything you're going to hear in this sermon is fall down, get back up. Fall down, get back up. There are no experts in outreach. There are no experts in mission, only people that haven't given up. Only people that have let their hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for it. It happens to be at the heart of our scripture reading today. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, pull it out. If you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be at today. Matthew chapter 25. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, praise God. We are so glad that you're here and there are Bibles in the back that are free for you to take. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 25 in verse 34. Jesus cuts right to the chase today as well. To set the scene, Jesus is later on in his ministry. Uh, and he doesn't have a lot of time left, and so you can sense the urgency in his voice. And you heard this read in the scripture reading. Jesus says, the king will say to those on his right, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then let's read verse 40 together in your nice and loud, wide awake, 11 a.m. service voices. Here we go, Nice and loud. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then a lot of times in scripture we like to skip over the parts that make us feel uncomfortable. You can't do that. And so we read that in verse 40 and then Jesus says to those that choose avoidance or apathy and to ignore the mission, let me read verse 41 for you. The king will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. God bless you. Just wanted to encourage you. Really cheery, right? Some of you are like, come on, Jesus. Like, that's a little harsh. I came to church this morning to be encouraged, not to be told that I'm going to go to the fiery furnace, right? What is Jesus doing here? This seems really harsh. Or it could just be, him showing us how passionate he is about us serving those in need. There's four things that I don't want you to miss about this particular passage. Four key takeaways this morning. And the first one is this. Sometimes, I don't know what your church background is, but we can kind of grow up with an understanding of church that avoids passages like this. Oh, yeah, John, I grew up in the church. You, you go to worship on Sundays. Maybe you do some Bible study and you pray. That's great. And then some people are like really on fire Christians, and they have time, which I don't, and so they serve. I got enough going on in my life, and I'm really, really busy, and maybe you grew up in a version of Christianity where serving is kind of like something you tack on to the side of your existing Christian life. If I have time, I'll do that, but that's for those Christians that are like, whoa, way out there. I don't see that anywhere. I see that this is at the heartbeat of who God is. Number one, the first thing you got to know, serving is the very heartbeat of God. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Serving is what it means to follow Jesus. Secondly, the thing I want to point out is that we are all broken and needy. We are all broken and needy. Sometimes we fall into this ditch or there's this danger when we start to talk about serving and the kind of church that we want to be at Hope Elam is that if we're not careful, we'll develop what's kind of an us and them mentality. You know, there's us in whatever level that you are, whatever place in life you are. And then there's those people. And usually by those people, we talk about people that are poor, people that are in poverty. When I say the word poverty, be honest with yourself, what do you think of? They don't have a lot of money, right? They are in poverty of poverty money or material possessions or a house or a car or whatever it is. God's story tells a much different picture, and biblically we know that that is one small fraction of what we say poverty is. There's a book called When Helping Hurts that's been very helpful to us as a church to understand a holistic view of the brokenness of the world. And what I don't want to do is preach a whole sermon on let's go fix those people. Let's go bring Jesus to them. Well, what if Jesus is already there? And we're just called to join him in fact that we live in a broken world. I don't need to convince you of that. But if this is self, we know that there is a broken relationship every single one of us has between us and God. So we all have the spiritual poverty. We are desperate for a savior. So right away we know the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So there is no us and them anymore. Not only is there that broken relationship, we have a broken relationship with the rest of creation. We have a broken uh, relationship with our community and people around us. We have a broken relationship with ourselves. We don't even love ourselves. We don't even understand ourselves all the time. I don't have to convince you. We have a broken economic system, a broken political system, broken religious system, broken social systems. And so what I'm trying to convince you of this morning is that when we say the word poverty, you would say, yep, that's me. We're just all broken in different ways. I'll never forget a couple years ago, one of the ministries that we have as a church is homeless outreach, which we're getting ready to ramp back up now as hopefully we're getting to the tail end of this pandemic, and we're going to start bringing people in from different shelters. And I'll never forget what a volunteer was eating breakfast with several uh, homeless gentlemen at the time. And he came to me after worship, just with tears in his eyes, and I said, "What's wrong?" And he said, "I have been so convicted." Because for my entire life I sat down thinking they're the broken and needy ones, and I'm gonna go fix them. Well, I can tell you this morning, <laughs> I'm the broken and needy one. They know way more about the Bible than I do. They're way more connected to Jesus Christ than I am. They 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 understand the gift of friendship and relationships. I'm broken in all these other ways. I'm the one that's poor. I'm relationally poor and I'm spiritually poor. And it just opened up his heart to understand that maybe reaching out and serving those in need is not about us saying, let me fix you. It's let me walk alongside you together. And as a church, when we say serving those in needs, it is one beggar telling another beggar where to get some food. And that food is the bread of life in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we are as a church. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's the power of community night. If you haven't come to community night here at Hope Elam, I want you to know our vision for that is not, oh, that's the night where we serve all the people that don't have enough to eat. Nope, actually that's the night where all the broken and needy and poor people come. That's us. That's all of us. We all have issues. We're all broken. Some of you have been waiting a long time for this. Turn to the person next to you right now and say, Neighbor, you've got issues. Tell them that right now. You've got issues. Just get on the same boat here, all right? Some of you that are sitting next to your spouse right now are like, thank you, Pastor John. I've been waiting a long time. Just needed the excuse to say it, right? You're welcome for that. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. Thirdly, what do we learn from this passage? The last thing we learn from Matthew chapter 25 is this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. What we do on earth echoes in eternity. I don't know, again, what version of Christianity you grew up in, but sometimes we live a version of Christianity that's, I'm going to get myself saved, and I'm going to wait around for heaven when I die. And that is great. And I am just as excited about that reunion with our loved ones, with our heavenly fathers someday, and I cannot wait. Heaven cannot come soon enough. But I will tell you this, when I read my Bible, I am way more convinced that God's desire for our lives is not to wait around just as people that are saved for heaven one day. It's to be people that help bring glimpses of heaven to earth. Amen? Why do we pray in the Lord's Prayer, every single time we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven heaven. Maybe Jesus wants us to help be the answer to our own prayers. And instead of waiting around for somebody else to do it, when we say on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus says, all right, go do that. Go participate with me in putting that broken world back together. We live in a broken world and Jesus is putting it back together. And to be the church means that we participate in what God is already doing. Amen? That's what it means to be the church. And maybe that's not what you grew up with, but when I read the Bible, that's what it screams to me over and over again. Now, before we go further, a word of caution. Because we're church people, I mentioned guilt. A lot of you are going through in your minds right now all of the things that you think you've done to be a pretty good person. Well, I I used to serve there, and I went on that mission trip once, and and I, I volunteered at church at one point, but I haven't in a while, and I just can't find time. And all this guilt and all this shame is setting in. So before we go one step further in this sermon, let me just say this. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting there in the pew right now going, oh man, I'm not doing enough. Get over yourself. Get out of the way. Have today be a fresh start and let Jesus move in and through you today. Amen? That's who we're called to be. Put away the guilt. Put away the shame. Bring it to the cross so that we can start being the church that God has called us to be. Being a servant, as it turns out, is not just something that we do. It's actually who we are. Check it out. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. Let's read it nice and loud together. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we say, ah, serving others is not really my thing, we're literally pushing against the very way that God created us. It's not like something we consider. It's who God created you to be. Not only that, it is the object or the goal of our faith. Check it out. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. Let's read this together. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me break that down for you. God's number one desire for your life, beyond anything else, number one is not that you would be comfortable God's number one desire for your life as a follower of Jesus is that every single day that you would be a person that is increasingly thinking, feeling, and acting more like Jesus. That's called discipleship. There's a fancy word. It's just called discipleship, to be a follower, a student of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we talk about serving, if you're going to know what kind of a church we are here at Hope Elam, discipleship is is measured, spiritual growth is not measured by how many church services I've attended or how long I've been a Christian or how many Bible studies I've led or how good I think I am in some self-righteous way. Being a follower of Jesus in Christian maturity is measured by one thing. Does my life look more and more like Jesus every single day? That's the question. And so when we start to look more and more like Jesus, we look like him, which is a servant leader. Jesus was the chief servant that on the night that he was betrayed gets down on his hands and feet, the God of the universe, and grabs a towel and a basin of water and takes on the posture of what was a job reserved for slaves. So please don't tell me that's not my kind of church. You might be in the wrong kind of church. We're a get down on our hands and feet and wash some feet kind of church. That's who we are. That's because we follow the chief servant of all. That was really a hard lesson for the disciples to learn. If you have your Bibles, keep your finger in Matthew and just go to the next gospel, which is Mark. Turn to the gospel of Mark with me, Mark chapter 10. The disciples sometimes struggled with getting this through their heads, and it makes me feel better because I don't always get it right all the time either. So the disciples have been following Jesus for a while. And if you think about, if you had one question to ask Jesus, what would it be? Like, if you just had this divine opportunity to ask Jesus today one question, what would, you know, like, am I going to see my relatives again? Is, is my cat in heaven? I don't know what you would ask him, right? Whatever that big question that you have for Jesus, okay? James and John are the sons of Zebedee. Their nicknames are the sons of thunder. And they come to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. If you're in Mark ch- 10, say, I'm there. Awesome. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came and they said, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, you can just feel the humility just oozing out of these guys right now. Jesus, we want to sit next to you in heaven on thrones. Could you make that happen for us? Of all the nerve, right? I'm going to bow down and worship and sob my eyes out at Jesus' feet. And these guys have the audacity to say, Jesus, we're pretty important. Can we sit at your right and left? And if I'm Jesus, I'm just like, come on, guys. But Jesus is so patient with them, and he says, a teaching opportunity. Don't miss it. Verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, okay, guys, huddle up. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. This is the way leadership works in the world. And then let's read it together. Verse 43, nice and loud. Jesus says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Jesus says, don't miss it this morning. Titles don't make leaders, character does. I don't think you got it. Titles don't make leaders, character does. You can be the VP of what and what, or the CEO, COO, or CFO of whatever you're in. You can reach the top of the pinnacle of whatever career or whatever your mountain you're chasing in this world. A really good way to know if you're leading or not is to look behind you and see if anybody's following. And if they're not, you might just be a person out for a walk. <laughs> You'll remember that one. Jesus takes the cultural org chart of his day, and he flips it upside down. And he said, do you want to know what maturity is? Do you want to know what it means to go deep? It's not how in-depth of a Bible study have I done. It's how well have I loved. What, What is my ability to serve and to not need to be noticed for it? To get down on my hands and feet. Titles don't make leaders. Character does. And if you are in any position of leadership or authority today, which I believe that every single one of us is, because leadership means influence. And if you are living and breathing and have a pulse and you're following Jesus today, you are a leader. You're a kingdom leader. Whether you are a parent or a grandparent or a baptism sponsor, or a mentor, or a coach, or a teacher, or a leader in your job in any kind of way, or a friend, a small group member, you're a person of influence. God has not given you that position of leadership to lord it over people, but to flip the org chart upside down, to put yourself at the bottom and ask yourself every single day, am I leading those that are following me well? How can I serve everybody that God has given me that position of authority over of? It's not over, it's coming underneath. You are not been given that to lord it over others, but to say, how can I serve? Stop consuming your way to spirituality, and maybe it's time to start washing some feet. That's who God's called us to be as a church. So if servant leadership is about giving ourselves away, the opposite of that that we want to avoid is being spiritual consumers, and that's really easy to slip into. We live in a culture of consumerism. We consume everything else, and sometimes that slips into our walks with Jesus. So if you put them side by side, it becomes pretty clear. There's two different ways to live as a follower of Jesus. Number one, as a consumer, we're constantly asking, what's in it for me? Instead, servant leaders say, how can I be a blessing? It's not about me. Consumers, on one hand, say, oh, you know, there's all these things in the world that need to be fixed, all this brokenness, all this need. Somebody else will do it. Servant leaders say, if not me, then who? Consumers say, I don't really have time. There's all, you know, God's really called me to do something and he's placed something on my heart. I don't have time. Servant leaders say, I'll make time. We make time for the things that are important to us. If it's important and God's called me to it, he's going to equip me to do that. I'll make time. Let me make it really practical. Consumers walk in those doors every single week to church and say, hmm, what can I consume today? I wonder who's preaching. I hope it's not too boring. I wonder what songs we're going to... I hope it's that song that we really like. I wonder what the sermon's going to be about today. I hope it's somewhat relevant to my life. And that's all fine. Servant leaders walk in and say, what can I bring? What What can I contribute today? Servant leaders realize that maybe the reason that God got you out of bed and brought you to church on a particular Sunday that you didn't feel like coming has nothing to do with you liking it or getting your needs met. Maybe God brought you to church for the sake of somebody else. Maybe God brought you to church so that you could go and give somebody a hug or a high five or a handshake or pray for them and to see your smile so that they could see Jesus through you. It's not about you, Christian. It's not about me. Maybe God has you here today for the sake of somebody else. So that they could see Jesus through you. What can I bring? What can I contribute? We call these worship services, not worship consumptions. Hey, I'm headed over to the 11 o'clock consumption. You want to join me? (laughs) Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Sounds much better to say worship service because I'm here for others and God. And you know what? Jesus says, when you lose your life for my sake, oh, what? You gain it. That's how you get filled up on a Sunday morning, folks. It's not about you. It's looking to the needs of others. Sometimes we need a visual of this. Think about it this way. I came across (laughs) this video several years ago, and I can't get it out of my mind. And every time I watch it, I just think it speaks to this much different and deeper truth. There's a gentleman that was riding the subway train on an underground subway in Perth, Australia, in this really busy subway station. And he steps out, and there's that little gap in between the subway car and the platform, and his leg falls down there, and it gets stuck. So he slides down, he can't get his leg out, and you know these subways are on a timer, and so the car is about ready to take off in another 25 or 30 seconds. Well, they caught surveillance footage uh, of this, and so if you're online, you may not be able to hear the audio of this, but if you're in the room, there's a little music uh, behind it. But watch what happens when you have a whole subway station of some consumers and some servant leaders. Check it out. Praise God, isn't that so cool? They got him out. This is awesome. They all work together. Now, a couple things I want you to notice. First of all, don't you love the guy that comes in and sees about 100 people pushing on the train, it's not working, and he comes in and goes, there, that'll help. Like, I did my part, right? The other guy I'd like to point out is blue hat guy right here, okay? Let me just say this. Please don't be this guy, okay? Oh, I wonder what's going on here. Oh, it's a life and death situation. Some guy's got his leg stuck. It's going to get, you know, cut off if the subway train goes. There's about 100 people all pushing with all their might. I'm just going to stay over here and see what happens. I'm going to watch. But if we're not careful, some of us will live our life, our Christian life, like this guy. Because consumers also ask, if I get involved, what might happen to me? Servant leaders are asking a very different question. If I don't jump in, what's going to happen to them? It's a very different posture. Some people say, oh, that's a cute little video, John. That's great. That's awesome. It's, it's really nice. You know what I see in that video? a glimpse of a healthy church. If you want a picture of what we're talking about this morning, of what it looks like to be a church of servant leaders that following in the image of our Savior, it's that. There's no way that guy gets rescued unless every single person says, if not me, then who? I can't sit here in my seat and keep consuming. I've got to get in and I've got to push with all of our might and all of us together are going to join in on this life or death mission. Some of you are like, John, come on. This was a matter of life and death, and I would challenge you, and our mission's not. Because there are hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Des Moines metro area that don't know Jesus, that don't have a church home, and are stuck in their sin and their guilt and their shame or their apathy or their indifference towards the hope that is available in Jesus Christ. And we've got to be the people that tell them. Amen? We can be the people that go and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And we are not going to accomplish our mission as a church, as consumers. We will only do that by all of us getting in there and saying, if not me, then who? And we all do that together. Because the truth is, (laughs) as Blue Hat Guy learned, you can't make a difference from a distance. If you hang back in your comfort zone, you're gonna miss the calling that God has on your life. To be a part of something that's bigger than you and maybe that hasn't been your experience with church and maybe your experience has been come, taken a sermon, listen to some music and go home. That's not who we are as a church. That's not where the bus called Hope Elam is going and if that's not what you wanna do, you should find another bus because we're a group of people that are called to serve. You can't love from a distance. Every time I think about that statement, I cannot help but think, um, last night my wife and I got invited to a birthday party uh, that had a dance At it for adults. It was a gal that was turning 31 on July 31st. It was her golden birthday. And so we went, and we were kind of joking with each other. I said, I can't remember the last time I went to a birthday party for somebody that wasn't under the age of six. This is kind of fun. And so we went, and there was this dance, and it was a good time. And it reminded me the last time I was at a dance for an adult was a wedding that we got invited to. It was a destination wedding that I officiated at, and the, the reception for the wedding was on a beach. It was in this big tent, kind of like that. And this wasn't just an ordinary dance. This dance had a DJ. And you know sometimes at wedding dance, anybody ever been to a wedding dance, just a show of hands, just so you know what I'm talking about? Okay, most of you, okay. Or you least observed one, and maybe you're one of those people. There's two kinds of people at wedding dances. There's the people that are all in on the dance floor, and then there's the people that sit back in the chairs, sipping their punch like this. Okay? They're the fun haters, okay? Or you're just, I don't want anything to do with it, right? And there was those people and a whole bunch of those people at this dance. The DJ, though, Chris was his name. He didn't stand behind his DJ booth, you know, wiki, 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 all that. He was out on the dance floor, like rocking the mic and getting everybody involved. And he made it his goal at this dance to get every single person on the dance floor by the end of the night. And so he just kind of go around. And these are people that were 50, 60, 70, even 80 years old, all the relatives of the couple, getting them out on the dance floor. And so we're dancing, and uh, it's Gangnam, Gangnam Style. Do you remember that song? Anybody remember that song? Okay, Th- that's what I remember. boom boom chicka boom chicka boom chicka boom And there's one guy that hasn't got out on the dance floor yet, and it's Cranky Uncle Bob. And Cranky Uncle Bob has been sitting over there with his walker in his chair the entire night just going, Mm, like this, over my dead body. I'm not getting on that floor. And in front of the whole wedding party, everybody that was at the dance, Chris the DJs bounce around, you know, what, what? And he goes over and he looks right at cranky Uncle Bob. And he goes, I'm coming for you, Bob. Let's go, you. And he kind of looks at him. And in front of everybody, Bob stands up, little by little, grabs his walker and starts walking out onto the dance floor. And I kid you not, right before he gets to the wood of the dance floor, he throws his walker aside, okay? This guy's in his 80s, walks out on the dance floor. You know, remember, Gangnam Style, boom-chicka, boom-chicka, boom-chicka. And he does the only dance that he knows how to do. And he starts doing Saturday Night Fever for the rest of the song. And Cranky Uncle Bob is just going to town, which I'm pretty sure that was the last time he danced was... Saturday Night Fever in the 70s because he's staying alive, staying alive to Gangnam Style. And everybody's going, go Bob, go Bob, go Bob. And he's sweating and his shirt comes untucked and his tie's flying all over the place. And that's how we end the night. It was this epic ending to this wedding dance. And Bob comes over to DJ Chris. And I was standing next to him, and I'll never forget this. He comes over to Chris and says, Sonny, that was awesome. He goes, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And I tell you that to tell you this. (laughs) You were not created to stay in the comfort of your chair and be a Christian that sits in your comfort zone. You were created to get out on the dance floor where the action is because you're going to miss it you're going to miss the very reason that you were created because 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of the comfort and security of his throne in heaven, out, got out of his chair and went down to the dance floor, called the earth and came and lived among us. He didn't just parachute in and say, good luck. He came and he got his hands dirty and messy in our lives. And if we're going to be a church that follows Jesus Christ, you got to get out of your pew and you got to get out of your seat and you got to get into where the action is and you got to go love people. Amen? Get out onto the dance floor. Amen? That's who we've been called to be. You can't love from a distance. And the thing is, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I want want you to leave encouraged today. You're already doing it. You've heard about community night. You're already doing it. You're an incredibly servant-hearted church. We talked about community night. Over the last five or six months, you as a church, as you have been volunteering week after week, have given out over six thousand hot meals to this neighborhood right here in the heart of Des Moines. Praise God for that. Not only that, last winter you collected and filled uh, all of our campuses together, filled every food pantry in central Iowa. You, you, you volunteered by the droves for vacation Bible school over the last couple weeks and our school supplies for our school supply drive are starting to come in as well. But here's what I'm most proud of. It's not just the headline news moments. It's not about the numbers. This last week, one of the success counselors from an elementary school that right down the street here in our neighborhood called and said, we have a problem because that coming out of the pandemic, as we go back to school, teachers, they just don't, there's not the manpower to, to get all their desks and furniture set back up because they weren't using all the rooms. And so we just don't know what to do. And so he said, and so we decided to call you to maybe see if there was anybody in the church that could help set up our classrooms for our kids this fall. And it breaks my heart, and at the same time, it makes me so proud. Because if an elementary school within a five-block radius of our church needs help, I pray to dear God that we would be their first call, that they would call the local church, that that's who we are as a church, that's who God's called us to be. And so... If you're interested in in, in doing that, uh, come see us afterwards. Go to the Welcome Center, scan the QR code, say, I want to help with the school uh, project, and please let us know. We, We can talk all day long about how Legacy Hope Des Moines and Legacy Elam are two very different churches, and we're a diverse church and coming together. I will tell you this, for all the ways that we're different, There are two things that our heart beats for as a church that draws us together. We're passionate about telling people about the love of Jesus, and we are passionate about serving those in need in our city. Amen? Let's rally around that. Let's let that be the thing that unifies us. That's who we are. And so if you're new or you're maybe unaware, I just want to leave you today with some tangible things of what you can take action, some ways to serve There's dozens of ministries here at Hope Elam. I'm not just going to preach a sermon about serving. Let's go be the church. Let's go do it. We have partners right here in our facility that we're serving. You don't have to go far. And we have dozens of local mission partners. The easiest way to find out about all the different ministries is this just a screenshot, hopeelam.org backslash serve. And there you'll see helping with hospitality on the weekends or administration, creative arts, worship, production, you name it, behind the scenes and front of the scenes. One of the biggest myths about a church uh, the size of ours that's bigger, you might think, oh, I'm sure they've got it all covered. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need you. There are dozens of teams that are in need of volunteers. They're in need of servant leaders right now. And we'd love to hear from you this week. But it's not just the stuff going on with our own ministries at Hope Elam, we have facility partners right here in the building. Joshua Christian Academy on level four. Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Dorothy's House, uh, which works with women coming out of trafficking right here in Des Moines are on level three. You don't have to go far. Walk up the stairs and say, how can I help? How can I serve? All of these organizations are looking for help. And last but not least, all of the local mission partners that we have as a church. Hopeelam.org backslash serve. I dare you. I dare you to go look it up and say, God, where are you calling me to take a first step? Just one step is what God is asking of you today. God, where are you calling me? I want to make it really tangible for you. Take a step today. These next couple weeks, our fifth floor up here is the last part of our building to get renovated. Levels one through four have been renovated and are being used for ministry. And a couple months ago, we were approached by this group called Genesis Youth Foundation. And they needed space. Because we found out that this man named Sam and his wife from Liberia, Africa, for the last 10 years, without any need for notoriety or pay, have been picking up junior high and senior high high school students from refugee families all over the city of Des Moines making sure that they don't flunk out of school, helping them with their homework. They started a 50-member African choir and a really, really competitive soccer team. They teach them job training skills. They help keep them in school, and they're doing all of it for free. And they were getting kicked out of their space, and they say, you come here to Hope Elam, and we will give you a home. Now, to be able to do that, we've got to open up some space on the fifth floor, which is the world's largest yard sale right now. So we need your help. Uh, With that, there's no other easy way to put it. We just need your help. And if you want to come sweat for Jesus, this is the place to do it. You can get in shape and make a difference at the same time. All right? So let us know. Email us. Call us. Scan the QR code out in the lobby. Get connected and say, I want to help with the fifth floor. And don't forget about the school supply drive because no kid, no kid in the city of Des Moines, if we're a church in this neighborhood, should go to school this fall without what they need. Amen? Take one step today. God, what are you calling me to do? That's what a gal named Joy did in a much different neighborhood in the outskirts of Sacramento. And as you watch this final video, I want to challenge you. What does it mean for us right here in the heart of Des Moines to take one step of faith? Let's take a look. He got into the mess with us. And if you hear nothing else today, we don't serve to make ourselves feel good. We don't serve as a church to get our name in the headline news. We get into the mess with people, into the mess of our city, because we have a Savior that got into our mess and reached out to us when we couldn't help ourselves. I love what Joy said, what God spoke over her life, and maybe he wants to speak this into some of your hearts this morning. If you've been wandering around or wondering... kind of a church is this? God wants you to hear this morning. This is the place. These are the people. This is the place. These are the people. And if you're looking to make a difference and be a part of something bigger than you, to stop consuming and learn to follow Jesus the way it was meant to be done, come run with us. Not because we're some perfect church, Because in 13 years, I've talked to a lot of people that want to serve and go on mission, but very few people want to stay. Because when it gets hard, they leave. And I don't want to be that kind of church. And I love what Joy said at the end of the clip. The success is in being here. That's what these neighborhoods are looking at this big old brick church on the corner, and they're asking, Oh, are they going to run away when things get hard? Or will you stay? Missionaries don't just go, they stay. Will you stay? And will we be the kind of church that does just as much ministry outside these walls as is going on inside of it? Will you stay? And will you come serve with us? Amen? Amen. Wherever you're at, online, in person, let's stand. You can grab your communion elements, and we'll celebrate that together. Go ahead and grab your kit. If you're at home, grab whatever elements that you have. Before we open those up, we're going to pray together, so hang tight on those. I know you're antsy. First, got to remember that it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, take and drink. This is the new covenant to my blood. This is my promise to you that I will wash you clean and forgive all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was broken so that we could be broken for the world around us. So as we prepare our hearts, let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught us, our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you're online, go ahead and grab your bread, whatever you have. If you're here in the room, go ahead and open up the first layer and take the wafer. Receive that together, the body of Christ broken for you. And then if you're at home, take whatever grape juice or wine you have, pull the second layer out, and receive the blood of Christ shed for you. And now this morning that you have received the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may you know that your sins are forgiven, that you have a fresh start in his grace, and that he has called you, that you are free to worship him, to be sent by him, and to live for him, and to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ with the world around you. Amen? Amen. Let's remain standing wherever you are. I'll invite the worship team forward, and let's sing of a God that never leaves us.